0: All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way.
1: Hello, guys.
0: Talking Oregon Duck football and the Washington game, Husky Week, Hate Week, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Ducks, 17th in the country, 4-1 and one going into this football game. Uh, the Washington Huskies are 5-1, and one, and they're ranked 7th in both the AP and, and the coaches' polls. And this is a game, I think, Eric, where Oregon's trying to exercise some demons a little bit against the Huskies. The, the last two games combined, uh, what, Washington scored 70, 70 points at Autzen. It's the most points scored in this rivalry. Uh, and then last year, they, they scored 38. So they scored 108 points in two games. Oregon's mustered just... Twenty-four. Yeah, it's not good. in In that two two-year period, and it's interesting going into it because, uh, offensively, the guys are willing to talk at Oregon about this game, but defensively, yeah, the, this is a team that's not really talking much about Washington. They're talking about themselves, but they're not talking about Washington.
1: Yeah, and, and part of me wonders if. Uh, if the coaches kind of saw some of the stuff that was said by some of the offensive guys on Tuesday and then kind of said, hey, let's tighten things up on Wednesday because, yeah, you're right. uh, um, Across the board, pretty meager comments in terms of this rivalry. Um, I think the most you got from anybody was Kalana Apeloup saying, yeah, we really want to beat them because they beat us really bad the last two years, (laughs) which is like, yeah, okay, that's pretty self-explanatory. On Tuesday, we did get some good stuff from guys like Dylan Mitchell who, um, who said it's Husky Hunting Week, and, and that they, they kind of want to even the score? They have something to prove, and um, and you're right, yeah. It was kind of a little different approach on, on Wednesday. At the same time, it was pretty clear that this game means a lot. Um, I don't think there was any sense of like, oh, who cares about this week? Doesn't matter much. It was it was more we're focused on ourselves and things internally than we are on what might be a rivalry. And a lot of the players kind of said this is you know it's a rivalry because these schools don't like each other because of the history, and but it's more of a fan based rivalry than it is. Um, a player's rivalry. You know, the players don't necessarily know a lot of these guys from Washington. And it's worth mentioning. A lot of the guys we're talking to are, are younger guys who haven't, maybe, didn't play in the seventy to twenty one game where Jake Browning turned and pointed at at Jimmy Swain, or didn't play a lot even last year in the thirty eight to three game up in Washington. So, certainly, a game that I think means a ton, even if you're you're, you're disregarding the rivalry in Oregon. And we've written about this. This week, basically, they can't win the conference unless they win this game. Yes, it, it becomes basically impossible unless Washington totally falls apart, um, or even Stanford falling apart. Which Stanford falling apart doesn't feel the most absurd at this point. They obviously uh, have lost their last two games, uh, and probably should have lost the last three if we're being honest. Oregon, really should have won that game at Otzen three weeks ago. But um, as things stand right now, you just kind of look at the conference, and Oregon is is one game behind. Um, both Washington, oh, actually because they're two, one and a half games behind Washington and they're only um, a, a game now behind Stanford, but Stanford has a tie break. They have to win this week is they must win in terms of winning the division. I think the guys are aware of that. And, and the practices this week, from what we've seen, have been pretty focused, pretty intense practices, not necessarily overly emotional, which is one of the things that Cristobal said today was some difference between passion and emotion. Passion is something where you never kind of run out of it. Emotion is something that you can run out of. So they're trying to approach practice with um, more passion rather than emotion. I think mean, you've seen that this week from what, from what we've seen in, in two days watching them prepare.
0: Going into this one, this is the third straight week the Ducks have taken on a, a ranked opponent. Uh, it's the first time since 1997 that Oregon has, has played three consecutive ranked teams wow. during the regular season. Uh, and They're coming off a bye week. Uh, which they remember they went down to California and and picked up a 42-24 victory uh, over the California Golden Bears, who at the time were a top-25 team. But I think after we watched that one, it it was pretty clear that
1: they were not. And then after they lost the following week to Arizona, even more clear. Yeah,
0: and and this will be an opportunity for Oregon to get their second straight win over a ranked opponent in consecutive games, and that's the first time that happens since the 2014 season, which is kind of basically the last year that Oregon was really sure. playing at a high elite level, um, this game is going to come down to, I, I think, at least when Oregon has when Oregon is on defense, it's, it's going to come down to can Oregon get Washington into third and long situations and put Jake Browning in a situation where he has to kind of throw his receivers open and make big plays. Uh, Washington's quarterback. Four-year starter, a guy Mario Cristobal said, you know, knows the ins and outs of the entire offense at Washington and knows uh, what Chris Peterson expects from that Husky offense. But I don't think he he doesn't have the weapons that he had the previous two seasons. And no. Dante Pettis, John Ross, obviously Miles Gaskins is there, and um, junior receiver Aaron Fuller has kind of developed into their next go-to guy. But I don't think... From top to bottom, this UW offense is as explosive. The, the, the statistics have, have even shown it. You know they're less yards, you know, less big plays, uh, less points than the previous couple of seasons at, at Washington. And so, I think it, for Oregon to win this game, they're going to want to go into this one. And, and it, it, it's so cliche to say, but put your opponent in third and long situations, and then let your defensive ends, you know, Jalen Jokes, Justin Hollins, Lamar Winston's. Pin their
1: ears back and just go right at UW. I actually see this game, in similar, similar to what you were saying, I see this game kind of mirroring the Stanford game in terms of, I think, and it goes against what a lot of times will happen, especially with this Oregon team. I don't think this game is necessarily determined in the trenches because I think the teams are some pretty evenly matched there. I think Oregon probably has a little bit of an advantage on both sides of the ball, if I'm being honest. I think... Um, I think where this game will be determined is in the secondary on both sides yep. because Oregon's receivers are going to have to find ways to get open against this Washington secondary, which statistically is tops in the conference and 18th nationally and probably a little better than those numbers because they faced some really good passing offenses like Auburn and Arizona State um, in previous weeks. Um, so Oregon's receivers, Dylan Mitchell, is going to have to find openings. and He was pretty upfront this week. He said, "I watched the Auburn game. I watched the Arizona State. He watched both those games multiple times." I saw some things I can take away. I don't want to tell you what that is, <laughs> a.k.a. we don't want to like to let them know what I've noticed. But I think there's some things I can kind of do to, to have some success. And then on the other side, I agree. I think what we've seen from Oregon's defense through now five games is that this front seven is for real. It's probably the best they've had in about a decade Um, I haven't seen anything that really dissuades me from from saying that, and and maybe, who knows, maybe this weekend they'll kind of crap the bed and you'll think, think, oh, maybe they aren't for real and Washington really manhandled them, but my my expectation is that, yeah, I think it's going to come down to Washington. It's going to be forced to convert third and sevens and third and eights, and it's going to come down to the secondary again, and it's been an up and down season, I thought they played pretty well against Cal, and of course that could be largely because Cal really didn't have anyone who could complete a pass and the receivers aren't really at this level. But we also saw against Stanford where, you know, in the, when that game started kind of falling away, uh, it was J.J. arcega whiteside and K.J. Costello and tight end Caden Smith who were just totally abusing some of these corners and safeties. Um, and so to me, it's, it's the same thing. I think, you know, I, I expect Oregon's front seven to do a pretty good job of slowing the run game down. Um, Gaskin it looked a little banged up in the UCLA game from what I saw. I don't know if that will play a big role, but it's can Thomas Graham and Dion Lenore, you know, on an island against guys like Ty Jones yep. and Aaron Fuller, can they kind of figure it out? And, and if they can't, this could be a lot like Stanford where maybe Oregon's offense has a ton of success, but the defense just doesn't can't find ways to get stops.
0: Yeah, th- this UW defense is absolutely tremendous mm-hmm. in terms of just their overall talent. They've probably got three or four, maybe even five, NFL players back there. And that's
1: the. In the secondary alone. In,
0: in the secondary alone. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the uh, the strength of this UW team this year. 100%. Uh, I, I think you look at. Go back and look at the Husky games. And this is just a team, and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about, where I don't know if maybe they've been just hiding everything sure. up until this game offensively, but they really haven't had. Those huge numbers, you know, they they lost twenty-one to sixteen against Auburn, and I don't think anyone's really faulting them for scoring sixteen and, and points. They could have scored way more. Yeah, a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I don't think really anyone is faulting them for that loss. You know, but like you said, though, they, they left a lot of points on the board um, against North North Dakota. They scored forty-five and they won forty-five to three. Uh, they went on the road the week three against Utah and, and won a tough game twenty-one to seven. Uh, and really, if if it wasn't for Utah, you know, blundering things inside the, the goal line about three times, that game could have easily been a victory for the Utes. Um, Arizona State they won twenty seven to twenty at home. They went to uh, they played BYU in week five, a non conference game, and won thirty five to seven, and that was kind of their 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 big offensive performance, uh, according to Adam Jude. And then um, this most recently they won thirty one twenty four against. UCLA on the road, and maybe they were looking a little bit ahead to to Oregon that week. And um, but at the same time, I, I really just I don't think this is that Husky team that's going to win a lot of games fifty five to, to fifteen. No, you know, yeah, they can do that. You know, they're not an explosive team that's going to just straight up dominate and put you away in in seven drives because they score on six of them and they're all touchdowns. Um, this is going to be a game where I think if Oregon can get out to some kind of an early lead, whether that's a 10-point lead or a 4-point lead, you know, a 14-point lead or a 13-point lead, what what have you, make it a two-score game early, it could drastically impact the direction of this game just because I don't know if Washington... Is built and wants to be that you know high shootout type of an offense.
1: And I'm and I'm with you again because I think the script for this is similar to the Stanford game. And Oregon orchestrated that script to a T until the later part of that third quarter where they're going in to to basically put the game away. We all know how that played out. But again, that, that was a game where they got up early, like you said, and, and had control and were able to really control things. Because I don't think Stanford, like Washington, is a team that really wants to play from behind. Yep. You know Washington's not used to it really this season. They've that, you know, they've, they've kind of led a lot of the games from start to finish. Um, and again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think this one is, I think, up for the taking for Oregon here. Um, if they come out and are able to execute. And, and we should mention here that I think this, and I wrote something last week on the site, on my Scopal system. I think this game has the chance to really become the beginning of a fun era in this rivalry. And I wrote about it because... You look at it over the last, really just the, the entirety of the, of the rivalry, which I think spans back to the year 1900, and there really hasn't been a, a decade where it's like every week, yep. every, every season is back, and, you know, it's tight games. It's been a lot of, of games where, uh, you know, or a lot of times where one team has the upper hand and the other team's not very good and they're really dominant that way. I think we're about to enter a period where both Washington and Oregon are pretty good, and these games mean a lot for the division and for the conference, and that these games are, both teams are going to be ranked a lot. I think you're going to see, you know, next year in Seattle, Oregon comes in ranked, Washington yeah. ranked, and these are the two premier teams in the Pac-12 North. 100%. So I think this is just a fun precursor to that, or, or kind of introductory game to what I expect will be, um, you know, four or five years, depending upon both these coaching staff sticking around, because they're both really well coached, I think. Yep. Um, I think there's a possibility this becomes a really fun rivalry, and I think Saturday has an opportunity to kind of kick it off that way. Just
0: building off some some of those stats and how this game's going to be, you know, I think a hotly contested game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ducks rank third nationally in first half scoring at 29 points per game. Um, Washington's defense ranks 12th in, in the country nationally, and first half scoring defense at six and a half. Um, they're also ninth and second quarter defense and 2.17 points per game and I think Oregon is Oregon something like third or second in the country uh, and and points scored offensively in the second quarter at like 19 mm-hmm. um, these are you know immovable objects Praced up against unstoppable force sure. um, type of numbers where you you've got two really really good groups going up against each other and clashing uh, and I think this is gonna Tell us a lot about the importance of Justin Herbert at quarterback. Yeah. We haven't even talked about that. How you know, the first game uh, Herbert of, of his of his starting career was against Washington, and obviously that was a seventy to twenty one game. And you know, I don't think you know three or four games under his belt would have mattered for that one. Uh, Oregon was just outmatched, outclassed. Uh, last year, the thirty eight to three victory by Washington, Oregon didn't have Justin Herbert in that game, and I think last year's team was pretty talented. They had guys that they could they. They could have moved the ball up and down, I mean, they ran for almost 300 yards against the Husky defense last year without the threat of a throwing attack. So you throw in a Herbert into the mix, maybe things are changing. Uh, I, this game's going to, in my mind, squarely falls on it, Herbert's ability to make plays. 100%. And that kind of factors in, you know, is he's the engine of the Oregon offense, essentially.
1: Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier, where I, I really do think this comes down to, you know, the passing attacks for both teams. If, if Oregon is able to... Beat the secondary, which really hasn't been beaten very much this year. I looked at it. It was really impressive that Arizona State game. I think Manny Wilkins had like 108 yards passing or something. Like they didn't put up big numbers, and that's against Nikhil Harry, who I think is banged up right now, but for my money is the best wide receiver in the Pac-12, maybe the country, and they bottled him up. I think he had like four catches for 48 yards or something. So this is going to be a challenge for Herbert. Dylan Mitchell said it earlier this week that this Washington defense will be kind of the secondary in particular, the best test. For this Oregon offense to date, and probably for the season, um, this is a big opportunity for Herbert. Again, he did it against Stanford, against what we thought was a pretty good defense, yeah. to really kind of make a mark. This is going to be a game that I would imagine a lot of people nationally are going to be watching. Um, you know, it's a twelve thirty game West Coast, three thirty in the East Coast. People are going to be watching this right before you know the big games of the evening start. So, I think this is an opportunity again for for a guy who's started pack to a play about as well as you could. Um, he's completed 42 of 56 passes so far in two Pac-12 games. That's pretty so he's good. He's been incredible. Um, this is another opportunity for him to do that, and it's going to be a different task because, like we established earlier, I, I just think this Washington secondary is really, really good, and, and it's going to come down to finding ways to exploit it. And, I, you know, I think for my money, I think he's going to be able to do that. At the same time, maybe this is just a game where the receivers aren't able to get separation and people get frustrated because Herbert ends up 13 for 28 and it doesn't have a very good game. Yeah,
0: we're going to learn a lot about how good Dylan Mitchell is. You know we're gonna learn. He's put up some huge numbers the huge. last two weeks, um, I, but I don't think Cal's defense is really anything to to be writing home about. Stanford maybe, um, yeah, but I don't
1: know about Stanford. I'm just so not sure what they are. Right
0: Stanford now. is you know the, their their star has faded the last two weeks of seeing how they got blown out at Notre Dame and then last week at home to Utah uh, they got shredded by by the Utes and obviously they didn't have Bryce Love and you know, defense doesn't. It really, you know, direct connection with, with Bryce Love, but um, they didn't look very good against Utah either. So this is going to be a test for how good Dylan Mitchell is, how good this receivers are uh, at Oregon. And um, my question is for you, Eric, we saw a huge uptick in NFL talk and, you know, best quarterback in college football for Justin Herbert when Oregon played Stanford. And then obviously uh, he followed up with another big game against Cal if Oregon wins and Herbert has a big game again, seeing how the importance of him, does he get back into the Heisman race? Is this is he out of it? I mean, he, so I've seen people say he's like the fourth or fifth best guy if they want to go to four or five guys, but it's always it has to be three. Can he get back into that top three group at the has a big game? I just think
1: I, I I certainly think it's up there. At, you know, it's it's available, but the the thing is is that I think. There are some guys that have been so spectacular on some of the best teams. You look at Tua at Alabama and the numbers he's put up and the success they've had so far. I know Will Greer at West Virginia is another guy that that people are talking up and probably forgetting a couple. But there there are some guys that have just put up some numbers. Um, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, obviously, is another one that, that I should have mentioned. There's some guys out there that have put up some huge numbers. Um, I think Herbert is certainly capable of – Putting up massive numbers and having a ton of success, I just think in terms of him actually winning the award, I'm not sure Oregon is going to be quite relevant enough. And that's not to say that they won't be 10 and two this year because I think I still think their ceiling is that high. I, I just worry about whether or not there's going to be enough reception because the Pac-12 right now people don't think it's a very good conference. Yep. And even if they go out and say Oregon runs the table, and ends up 11 and one, and say they then win the Pac-12 championship they their 12 and one, and Herbert puts up incredible numbers. Then, maybe, he becomes one of those top two guys. I still think it's just an uphill battle because I don't see Alabama fading from the national you know, prominence and Oklahoma just lost. But I think they're going to remain up there. Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard, I think, because, again, I think the Pac-12 is so maligned right now. I don't think people think the Pac-12 is really a Power 5 conference. I think the perception is that it's kind of the four big conferences and then the Pac-12 is kind of that secondary conference. And I think that hurts. You know awards because I think people look at the Pac-12 or look at Herbert and go, oh, he plays in the Pac-12. That conference hasn't really done anything this year, and you can't really fault them because you look at the, 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 what's, the what's the Pac-12's biggest win right now? It's Arizona State over Michigan State, probably, and and that that seems to be fading a little ideal. bit, and that seems to be fading a little bit too. So um, the Pac-12 has not helped itself at all on these big stages. You know, Washington losing to Auburn, Stanford losing. Um, last week or two weeks ago, to Notre Dame, obviously uh, Texas beating the crap out of USC. I mean, they're just you. Know, if you look at the teams that are considered kind of the premier teams in the Pac-12, and they've gone against premier teams in other conferences, and they just have not been up to the task.
0: Defensively, can can Oregon change the perception? I think they've changed the perception that, known, that they've been known for on a crystal ball, offensively as a physical team. I'm looking at this game as an opportunity now for the defense where if they can come out and kind of do what they did for Stanford for the first three quarters, you know, lead something like – it was going to be 31-7 to 7 against Stanford, you know, midway through the third quarter. Um, if they can get into that kind of a situation again, I think we're going to see people talking about how this defense all of a sudden has turned the corner and has elevated themselves into an elite group as
1: well. I mean, I, I think they've already – From our perspective, and we're and we're we're very much local and very much not the national group. But from my perspective, they already are one of the best defenses in the conference. You know, I think Utah and Washington, and and I guess Stanford are probably the other ones that you'd put in the discussion. But I think that front seven is as good as anyone in the conference. It's probably going to be, I would say, in the top ten nationally, and I think. I think again. I think there's. It's so funny because nationally, the perception is Oregon is you know the team that they were when right. they were really successful. Speed, where it's speed, and they don't. They're not. They're kind of soft. I think this defensive front seven is big, physical, very athletic. I think they pose a ton of problems for anyone they'd be facing. So I almost think nationally, you do it a disservice to say, oh, they're Herbert can score a lot of points. They have got all these playmakers, but man, that defense isn't very good. I think if you say that, you just aren't watching them on watching them play because statistically, they're one of the better teams. Um, nationally against the run. They've got a ton of sacks. They've forced turnovers. I think this is a really good defense. And, again, it all comes down to, to me, is this, this secondary. These cornerbacks, can they make plays against Washington? And, and I think, you know, I, I really am confident that this front seven is going gonna, is gonna to be very successful against Jake Browning in the running game. It's just going to come down to whether or not the secondary can kind of lift them up.
0: Now, this game also carries a lot of importance. We've talked about how if, if Oregon loses, they're basically out of the division race in the Pac-12 North, if they win, they're basically still alive. Yeah. Uh, they don't control their own destiny yet. They need Stanford to lose one more game and Oregon win over Washington. The Huskies and the Cardinals still have to play. It's up in Seattle, so that's probably the the, the most logical option for Oregon uh, to see Stanford lose one more time. So if, if you're trying to figure out the, play, you know, the tiebreaker situations and how Oregon can get into yeah, first... We did, we did have a story on that. Eric on did do a story on the site on duckterritory.com about the tiebreakers, but... Um, if, if Oregon wants to get into that driver's seat, they need to win this weekend, and then they need to have Stanford lose one more time to, to secure that. Basically, that's the easy, simplest way. Um, that's, the, that, that's what's on the line on the field sure. this season. Um, from a recruiting perspective, there's, we're expecting a huge group of unofficial and official visitors for football. You should also mention basketball, um, but for, since we're specifically talking here for football This is going to be a huge opportunity for this program to showcase kind of what Mario Crystal Ball's program is like and where they're heading or where they hope that they're heading uh, under under Crystal Ball.
1: And actually, I think from a recruiting perspective, you have a little bit more margin of error because I think recruits would be thrilled if Oregon just thumped Washington. Yep. Say Oregon loses a really close game. I remember talking with um, one of the coaches at Bosco and they after the Stanford game, and, and they had DJ U up and a couple other players, and they were like, we knew that Oregon was better than Stanford, even though Oregon lost the game. I think if it's a repeat of that, some of the recruits are going to go like, that Oregon team's for real. A lot of these guys are coming back. That's a thing we want to be a part of. It's an exciting culture program. So I think there's more margin for error. I think if they go out and it's a 70 to 21 game, which I think would be shocking. I've yeah, no, I, I almost put. That I don't as, think even Washington fans are. No, expecting I don't. That. They shouldn't be at this point. But if that's the result, then maybe recruits go away like, oh boy, that looks like it's a bigger. That's more of a problem than I expected it to be. I think if the crowd is as up for this game as we expect, because it is a heated rivalry, and Oregon plays Washington within a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns, people are going to come away going. That's a really good team. That's a really young team. It's a fun coaching staff. That's a program I want to play for. So, yeah, I I think actually the margin of error to me is a little bit greater from a recruiting perspective because I don't necessarily know if you have to win the game.
0: Yeah, Oregon is currently ranked uh, fourth in the country in recruiting for the 2019 recruiting class. They have 21 verbal commitments. As of Wednesday afternoon, Jared Casey, a a four-star linebacker, could potentially join the Ducks – Sometime shortly after we've recorded this podcast, so that number could go up to you know, to twenty two guys, and um, not quite sure if that's going to bump Oregon to third. It probably won't. Yeah, I don't think it's it's close. It's close, but uh, but from looking at who's who's here, Oregon's going to have a couple commits. They're going to have Mace Funa, a four star outside linebacker, one of their top guys. Mason Millen, uh, Kale Millen, um, another quarterback commit. That's a that's a three star guy from Washington, son of Hugh Millen, the UW. Uh, Quarterback Um, He will be here Uh, We'll have KL Ware Hudson Another Oregon commit Who's also high school Teammates with Mace Funa Um, A whole bunch of 2020 guys That are unofficially But the big fish Is Kayvon Thibodeau uh, The nation's Number one overall Prospect in the country Not just for A defensive end Or outside linebacker Just overall The number one player In the country Will be here And this is Oregon's opportunity To make a really big Impression on him because he's, he's really high on Florida State. He really connected with Willie Taggart, and when Taggart was here at Oregon and when he left to go to Florida State, that, that connection, that relationship carried with it. Uh, he's really high on Alabama. LSU is a school that he's, he's kind of looking at as well. Um, Oregon, though, they've got a shot. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're you know, the number one player, but... It, I won't doubt this recruiting staff under Mario Cristobal. You look at the Pac-12 recruiting rankings. Dominating. And basically everyone uh, in, in in the conference for the Pac-12, uh, you look at the, the top six, I think six positions. Uh, Court Dennison, linebacker coach, is number one. Dante Williams, the quarterback coach, is number two. T. Martin's third at USC. Marcus Arroyo, fourth, quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator at Oregon. Michael Johnson, the receivers coach, is fifth. Keith Hayward, the safeties coach, is sixth, uh, and then you go down to thirteenth, and Joe Salavea is in the group. So, you know, Oregon's got seven guys in the top thirteen, or six guys in the top thirteen. You know, USC has three, Colorado has two, Washington has two. I mean, Oregon, Oregon's ability to go out and, and land talent all over the place with multiple coaches is unmatched by anybody in the Pac-12 right now. So, I'm not going to sit here and doubt. Oregon's ability to sell Kayvon Thibodeau and you know relate to him and, and, and make a big impression on him—it's it, going to come down to just does he see this as a good fit? I know Oregon's recruiting him as an outside linebacker, where most schools are recruiting him as kind of a defensive end. But I think what's going to be important about this this visit is I think Oregon probably views him more like a Jalen Jelks, a guy that can—I
1: just going to say—can
0: play both, and so he's hearing outside linebacker, but. You know, when he gets an opportunity to watch Jelks, it may make more sense. Like, hey, yeah, you're going to have your hand in the dirt, but you're also going to, you know, be in a two point stance and, and you know, with your hands up and be ready to, to go like an outside
1: linebacker. I was just going to say that to me, there are, there are two. If, if say and we don't expect Thibodeau to announce anytime soon, and he probably and if let's say he picks Oregon eventually. I think that's huge for a couple of reasons. I think number one... It's the number one recruit. It's the number one recruit, and Oregon's <laughs> never landed a guy like that. It kind of almost validates a little bit more of what they're doing. That Like, hey, we can... Because right now they've got all of these high four stars and a ton of really talented guys. But there's something to be said about landing a five-star recruit. You see it happen with Oregon in basketball. They go out and they get a guy like Troy Brown one year. The next year they turn around to they get Lou King and, and Bull Bull, who are both five stars. And so you went from never getting five stars to getting a couple of five stars the next year. I'm not going to say that's necessarily you know, set in stone that if they get Thibodeau, the next class they're going to land two or three five-stars, but I think it certainly kind of opens the door of like, hey, this is a place I can go if I'm one of the top guys. And then secondly, I'm with you. I think you look at Jalen Juggs leaving, that to me, probably along with, with Ugo Amadi and Justin Hollins, those are the three biggest losses for this team regardless, offense, defense. You go out and you land a Thibodeau guy who can come in and basically replace Jokes, probably not entirely right away, but that can have a chance to do that. That's a huge win because losing Jalen Jokes, I know his production is a little down right now. He is a huge part of what they're doing out there. He is so versatile. Yeah, he's like a guy that
0: stats don't show what right. he's, what he's doing on the field because he
1: has a ton of times where he he makes he he rushes the quarterback, jumps, makes him throw the ball at a different arm angle, or or you know he he impacts the game a ton. And he's going to be sorely missed next year on this defense, which I still think will be really good if they can go out and say that they're able to replace Jalen Jokes and Justin Hollins with. DJ Johnson, a transfer from Miami who was really highly regarded, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Now you're like, okay, it's probably not quite the same thing, but the ceiling with those two guys is probably higher than the other two, and you have a chance, again, defensively to be really good. So, yeah, a guy like Kim coming in is huge for a lot of reasons. In the long term, I think he could be a, a fantastic fit in kind of that combo, kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, hybrid linebacker defensive end position that they're using with jokes this year.
0: Let's look at, across the Pac-12 for the rest of the week. Uh, there's some other games that are going to be played that's going to have some important factors um, in the conference race, uh, in the Pac-12. And um, cause there's Obviously, this is one of the bigger games in the country, let alone the Pac-12 conference for Oregon, um, but Oregon-Washington. But We've got Arizona-Utah playing on Friday night. We've also got UCLA in California playing Saturday afternoon. Huge for the conference. Huge for the conference right there. Big game. And then probably the the one that I've got the most intrigue in after the Oregon-Washington game is the nightcap. 7.30 game. We'll be home, hopefully, just in time to maybe catch the second quarter. Um, Colorado at USC. Is Colorado for real? Five and and0 USC have they turned the corner? Have they figured things out? At three and two, that's yeah.
1: That I mean, th- honestly, Pac-12 South could be decided. I just say, Pac-12 South and the Pac-12 North literally could be decided on Saturday. I mean, and that's probably a little bit over the top, a little hyperbolic, considering there's still a ton of games to be played. But yeah, you look at it. I mean, the two top teams in the Pac-12 North, in my opinion, are playing. And I would say, for my money, the two top teams in the Pac-12 South are also playing each other. I don't know. I'm not even sure what the argument. I guess Utah's probably the other maybe team Utah you put them in there, but they're still one and two. In the conference this year, that is a huge game. I don't doubt Colorado as much as I did. I've actually watched basically the majority of their last two games against UCLA um, and then against Arizona State last week. And I think they're pretty damn good. I mean, I think I think they are for real. I think they're they're going to be you know uh, maybe that I think they might be a team that goes seven and two in the Pac-12 South, which probably going to win it this year because it's such an up and down conference. At the same time. USC has all the talent. They're kind yeah. of that sleeping giant team. Will they ever wake up? Exactly. If they, and maybe it's this week. If they wake up this week, they could win the conference. If they lose this week, Colorado has a huge advantage because they've already won games against over half the Pac-12 South. And that basically means that, you know, they're going to have an advantage of one or two games over everybody. I mean, Colorado could almost sort of seal this thing unless they totally, you know, self-implode um, if they win this weekend. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of exciting to have... A game, you know, right in the middle of the season that could actually determine basically what who wins the divisions.
0: Uh, Colorado is the 19th-ranked team in the country, 5-0 and overall, and they are a 7-point underdog to a 3-2 and USC team. <laughs> what, what are you taking on that? <laughs>
1: what am I taking on that? Honestly, I think you're taking the... I'm taking Colorado because I think they have a really good chance to win the game and because I think giving them 7 points, like I think they're, it's going to be a close game if they lose, I would think. Um, but that, that is that's again a little disrespectful. But I also know it, it is Colorado is seen as kind of a second tier team, and USC is the big dog in the South, so you expect them to be favored. But seven points, I don't know. That's that's pretty. I'm optimistic. taking USC. You are seven I'm, points.
0: I'm taking USC in seven points. Okay. I
1: think we'll differ for the first time ever. We, our, <laughs> we do our picks each week, and we're always the exact same picks. I don't think
0: that Colorado yet is for real. Okay. I, I'm not buying that because I'm, I'm buying all the stock. They've played. Before the ASU game, the, the, their four previous wins were against opponents that were one in 15, one in sixteen. One in 16 excuse, yeah. excuse me, one in sixteen overall. Um, they played two teams that haven't won a game yet: New Hampshire and UCLA, um, and then uh, Colorado State. I think has won one game, and then so they played. Yeah, they played three teams that yeah. haven't that haven't won yet, um, and then they played an Arizona State team that. They're, the Sun, I think, I think the Sun Devils are what, three and three overall in the season. And Nikhil
1: Harry didn't play for most of that second
0: half. And Nikhil Harry didn't play for most of that second half. And yet, ASU only lost by seven at home. Had a chance to, and they up. were on the road. They had a chance to win the game. You know, I, I'm not sold yet. This is going to be the game that sells me or not. And they could, they could lose by three or four. And I still feel like yeah, they're a pretty good team. But I, I think USC is better than their three and two record. They have a freshman quarterback that's should be in high school still. He should be a senior in high school. He skipped his entire senior year. Um, this game's at home. It's a night game. I think it's kind of one of those like backs against the wall type games for USC. They've got the better players. It's just, can they execute? I think they will. I think they win uh by by seven or more points
1: i've bought all the colorado stock i'm selling it i'm selling it to you next week for a much like twice the price it's gonna be a lot more expensive next week on this podcast
0: well i shorted i shorted yes you, so you'll have to sell it for nothing next nothing? week oh dang that's, uh, that's i mean i did a really bad job of that the one game that no one's looking forward to ucla 015 five yeah. on the road at california three and two Cal's a seven point favorite
1: I don't even know, man. I, look, I mean, part of me is like
0: they, UCLA hung with Washington last week, so maybe oh. maybe they can beat Cal. But at the same time, like, they're really bad. But then I look at Cal's offense and, like, they're bad. They're bad.
1: I, I, I think I'm going to go Cal, but it also would not shock me at all. We've seen UCLA play a little better. They played Colorado decent in that first half. We watched that down right. um, in, in Berkeley or San Francisco. And then last week they played Washington to one score game. I would. I'm gonna pick Cal because I, I think that's the right choice. But I wouldn't be shocked if UCLA goes in and pulls the upset, and that's the, kind of their the, maybe a the turning point in the season. I still think they're gonna win like two games all year, but um yeah. I think I think Cal ends up winning, but I wouldn't. In the back of my head, I'm kind of going like, hey, maybe I should pick UCLA. I'm picking
0: UCLA. Sure. I, I I think I think they don't lose by seven. and I, I'm almost tempted even to pick them just straight up.
1: These teams are, the conference is weird because there's like five teams that just don't know if they're good. Yeah. And they all play each other. And I'm just like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I've watched a decent amount of both those teams now. Um, and I don't. Why are you I mean, watching UCLA a ton? Because UCLA played Colorado and they played Washington. <laughs> I've watched both of those games. I've watched a lot of UCLA. And I, I don't think UCLA is as bad as the record. because I mean, they're 0 5, but I also don't think they're good. Right. So I'll take Cal, I guess. I don't know.
0: And then this is this line is going to give us even more oh, of a oh. of a jump. A, we got we got Arizona at Utah Friday night game. Utah thirteen and a half point
1: favorite. I was that was eight and a half or something. I was like, "That's easy," but thirteen that's Utah a, lot. a lot I mean, way. And, and Utah doesn't score a, a ton lot. That's points. And they just they put it on Stanford a little bit. But they had
0: a defensive touchdown. They, and they may have even had a special teams touchdown too.
1: I can't remember. Yeah, I I, I was watching the Washington UCLA game for some reason because I don't I don't know why. I, I was <laughs> I was watching with a buddy of mine who's a Washington fan. That's why. But I I. I uh, I'll go with Utah because I don't know if Arizona is very good, and now I'm su- suddenly buying into Utah stock. But this could be another thing where next week I feel like a total bum because Arizona might go out and win by two touchdowns because I really don't know who's good in the Pac-12 South. Yeah,
0: I, I'm with you. I'm picking Utah 13-and-a-half, but my confidence in that is not very good. I'm banking on the fact that Utah's defense is really, really good and that they will be able to cor- kind of corral Kate, uh, Tate Martell – or Tate Martell. He plays at Ohio State. <laughs> Khalil Tate. Both have Tate in their name somewhere. <laughs> uh, Khalil Tate. And maybe it's it's a game where it's like 28-14 to 14 or something of that nature. Would, would, would Arizona be better if Tate Martell was their quarterback? Would Arizona be better? Yeah. Uh, probably not. They've got a, so. a lot of issues. Yeah, I think so too. And then last but not least, uh, this game that we cover Saturday night on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, Number seven, Washington, goes into Watson Stadium, takes on 17, Oregon. Huskies are a a three-and-a-half point favorite. It opened up as a four-and-a-half, and and it's been bet down to three-and-a-half. I think we're doing this podcast on a Wednesday at 1 o'clock. I think Friday night, Saturday morning, that line's going to completely change to Oregon. You
1: think Oregon's going to be favored by kickoff?
0: Yes. Really? I think the big bets haven't come in yet.
1: I, I could see that. I also think there's going to be some reservation to bet Oregon just because we haven't well, seen him do it yet. Maybe Oregon's not the favorite. But it's closer. But I think it, it's maybe one yeah. or
0: or one and a half. I think this number is going to have a huge... It's going gonna, gonna to go down way down in the la- next two days.
1: So I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction, and I picked Washington to win this game. Um, I still think I, think... I think Oregon's very capable of winning this game. I've watched obviously a lot of Oregon. I've watched all of Oregon. I hope you've watched a lot of Oregon. I've watched only a little bit of Oregon. I've been (laughs) in the press box. I've actually just been Googling stuff the whole time. (laughs) been catching up on my Netflix. Uh, Maniac was great. Um, I've watched all of Oregon. I've actually watched now a pretty good amount of Washington. I don't think Washington is as good as they were in the past. I just, I'm still, I haven't seen Oregon win a big game, obviously. I've seen them, I think they have the talent to 100% win this game. I'm just still in the mindset of, they just haven't put it all together yet, and, and, and I'm hopeful that they will this weekend, but I'm still a little bit resistant resistance. So I think Washington wins straight up. I think it's really close. I think it's a game that probably isn't decided until the last couple minutes of regulation. What do they cover? Do they cover? Was it three and a half? Three and a half. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they don't. I'm going to say Washington Washington wins, but it's, it's going to be like a 35-33 game. I don't know how Oregon is to thirty three, but I dug myself a hole by picking thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of field goals. I'm
0: sticking with my preseason pick, and I had Oregon winning this game, and I think Oregon's going to win. Um, I, I think it's, it's they're going to win maybe by like nine points, more than a touchdown, but it's not going to be two. You know, maybe ten point victory. Um, I'm, I'm thinking something. We'll, we'll give our predictions on Friday, but you know, right now, my I'm, I'm toying with something like. Thirty-one twenty-one or thirty-four twenty-four, kind of, kind of in that nature of a, of a football game. Um, I do think if Oregon can can start out fast and and you know, they can put some pressure on this UW defense, it could get ugly. If Oregon plays like they did against Stanford in the first half, things could get. To get ugly,
1: and, and I'm I'm fully on board with that. I think if we see first half Oregon, this game could be a, a, a really one sided game. I also think if we see second half Oregon against Stanford, it could be really lopsided in the, the other direction. Way. So then that's 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 why I'm sticking with Washington winning this game. Not because I don't think Oregon is capable of winning. I just haven't seen them consistently put it together for four quarters, even against Cal. Not that that game was really ever in doubt, but there were some kind of somewhat nervous moments late there because Oregon punted a couple times and Cal was moving the football, and you kind of going, like, this team just doesn't quite have that killer instinct. So, And we've seen Washington. They have it for sure. I mean, we've seen them. They get up in games, and they find ways to, to make sure that they don't kind of let the other team back in. We just haven't seen that from Oregon quite yet.
0: That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Podcast. Thanks for listening. Continue to watch us. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can also watch us – or yeah. – Listen to us on uh, DuckTerritory.com. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to this show. Please share it. Please you know, show your friends uh, the podcast. That would be great. And on most importantly, go to DuckTerritory.com uh, for your Oregon football and football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting needs. Uh, we've got a great promo going on right now. I should have said at the beginning. Uh, buy one month, get six months free. Don't know when it's going away. Uh, I was told Friday at some point it will go away. Uh, that means it, it could be Thursday night at twelve oh one a.m. Friday morning. It's gone, uh, but we were you know, or it could extend out into a, you know Friday afternoon. Not quite sure when it goes away. It's kind of up to those code guys of when they flip a switch. Freaking code guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, buy one month, get six months free. That gets you all the way through March essentially. Um, basically, gets you all of. The recruiting push to December signing day and then kind of the second recruiting period for football until the signing period in, in February for Oregon football gets you VIP coverage in Oregon basketball, Oregon football, and then uh, basketball recruiting and then the NCAA tournament. Yeah. If, if Oregon makes a run, you'll be with us right then and there through the thick of it uh, as, or- as we cover Oregon and their potential run to the March Madness. All for just one month's subscription. That's one lunch that you pack to work instead of going out to lunch. Uh, like you and I are going to do after this podcast is I'm over.
1: We're
0: going out to lunch, for <laughs> sure. Uh, so go to com. Subscribe if you're not subscribing. If you are, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we, next time we do a podcast, we'll be after Washington, Oregon, from the Godson Stadium Press Box, Saturday afternoon, probably Saturday night. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.
1: Adios amigos.